Hello and welcome to Geekswear, the podcast for news, reviews, films and interviews where we watch films to save you hassle. We are recording again live from the Advocacy Academy, which is a centre for young people in the heart of South London where they can talk about freedom of speech, activism and other political objectives to help people express themselves without fear and also in the public arena. You can find out more about the Advocacy Academy by going to the website www.theadvocacyacademy.com That's www.theadvocacyacademy.com Welcome to the show. So, we have a new episode in Season 10 of Geeksweb in our inspiration interview series and this time we are welcoming a creative filmmaking couple who are behind the production of a new feature film called Anonymous which is released in 2021. Welcome to the show Alistair McKay and Karenina Angelique. Hiya. Hello. Thank you for coming to our humble home and welcoming our new season 10 of inspiration interview episodes. We like to stay current, we like to stay on the forefront of what's going on and we appreciate your just fresh part of the press of mm. a new feature film that you've just made. Yeah. How are you feeling about that at the moment? Tired. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just had our premiere screening literally two days ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're sort of on a high from that because yeah. it was really successful but Sure. But, but yeah, shattered because it's been 18 months of wow. hard work. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been um, a crowdfunding campaign for three months. Mm. Then I was writing it before that as well. Yeah, pre-production yeah. for, I don't even know, and then post-production for six months. And then wow. and then just because, because mostly because we went through, down the crowdfunding route, it's just been trying to keep our audience still engaged with the film yeah. even though the mm. film didn't exist yet so sure. you know that's that's a lot of work that's 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 it's it's a lot harder to do than you think it's going to be so yeah but i think the turnout the other night mm. showed that the work has been worth it and yeah. yeah sure so what i'd like to do because your film is about going on a journey and a lot of what you've done is hard work and endurance. I'd like to start your journey <laughs> at the very beginning of your okay. film career, or at least the relevant parts of it. And I'd like to ask the first question, which we've asked a lot of our previous guests. What is your earliest recollection of a film that either stole your heart or showed you the power of film? Oh. You want to go first or shall I? I? I feel like you should go first. I have my answers ready. <laughs> yeah, you just you just go, you go. So, so I've kind of got two. If I can have, can I have two? Yeah, we can have two. So the first film that I really fell in love with was True Romance, which yeah. was directed by Tony Scott and it was written by Tarantino before anyone really knew who Tarantino was. Sure. Um, and uh, and I had that. I showing my age a little bit here. I had that on VHS oh, recorded wow. three times in a row. Cool. So that I didn't have to rewind it. To yeah. watch it again, I could just watch it. Oh, that's very straight. Clever. I once had finished it, okay. I could just watch it again straight away. Did you put it on long play or short play to do that? <sighs> I have no idea what I did. It was VHS. <laughs> I, was about, I was about 11. Cool. Um, but uh, um, 
Yeah, more recently, I saw a film called Sotsi, which is a South African film. Oh, and that's wow. one I... Have you seen it? I have not seen it, but I know it's uh, produced by, I want to say, the... Uh, Sidney uh, Poitier, I think, is behind the production. Possibly, yeah. And yeah. Um, I think that's the story about the the, fit, the car thief yeah. who finds finds a baby the in the back seat that, of the car, yeah. and it's just wow. and it's so he's living in the slums in South Africa, and and it's how finding the baby changes his. But uh, sure. such a powerful and so beautifully shot, and I, I I always point to those two. One true romance, having watched it as a filmmaker, sure. like it's brilliant, yeah, but it's not as good as as yeah. as a film, yeah. But it, it speaks to my heart more. Because of the film references and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, cool. yeah. And how about yourself, Carolina? Um, I think uh, being something of a bit of a diva, um, I've never really looked at it from the production side. I've always kind of like looked at, ooh, Audrey Hepburn is so incredible. I'd love to be like her one day or all of those things. And I think as I grew up um, – and particularly one of my best friends back in Australia who I grew up with, he, his, his dad worked for one of the, the TV stations. And so we got to go to a lot of theater openings and all the rest of it. And, and through those contacts and all the rest of it, he became a, a theater critic as well and, and a producer in his own right. And just the way that that shaped, I, you know, I went on a theater expedition in my life for a little while and and then I don't know I just I just I'm such I just love the arts all rounds and uh to to start off with for this journey for anonymous um because Al and I have like you know when I've gone to him to help me learn lyrics for for a singing gig or whatever and he'll be like oh um he'll give me some piece I can't tell you exactly I, ca- I can't think of what it is all I know is my reaction was you don't understand my process <laughs> um so I you know in this I was like cool babes I'll be there for you when you need me but clearly we can't work together and then there's just a few things that were happening in the early stages of the production and I just felt like he wasn't getting the support that he needed to make his like dream come true so I was like all right I'm gonna step in um, my day job is in digital marketing. So I, I was just taking what I was learning in the office, applying it to this and then, yeah. And then, and then once, you know, I was now in this behind the camera version, all these like films and things that I've watched, like one of my favorite films ever is I Heart Huckabees. Okay. I don't know is if you've ever seen it. Film? No, it's, um, David O. Russell. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, okay, cool. David, which is, it's so, but it's got like a Wes Anderson feel to it, which is weird because yeah. David O. is, it's just. I thought you were going to yeah. say Napoleon Dynamite as well. That's I mean, your other Napoleon's one. great. That's your other like, one. I love it. I love it to pieces. I, funny, actually, that is a good story. So I once watched Napoleon Dynamite on DVD. This yeah. was one day in uni, I think. There's no other way I could have had this much time. So I watched it. <laughs> And then I watched the director's commentary. And then when my sister came home, I made her watch it again with me. And I told her everything I learned from the director's commentary about it. So you're super spoilers. Yeah, this Mm. is it. So, yeah. But um, watching I Heart Huckabees after like producing a film ourselves, I was like, whoa, this is so badly edited. (laughs) And yet it's it's still one of my favorite films. And it just shows you like what you can kind of get away with so long as the story is great and and just overall production is good you know you can and you can get away with so much stuff can i just put a disclaimer in there that's not us saying there's loads of stuff wrong i'm just saying 
I think I think you put so much pressure on yourself as an artist to have everything perfect. Yeah. I think that's more that's more mm. what I'm getting at. Is some you can't and, and my boss at work always says this, don't let perfection get in the way of of good. Sure. Like because yeah, you'll you'll never you'll never make anything that's perfect. Cool, cool. So one thing I wanted to address because you're not just like a power couple in the film industry now or moving into it, but you've got specific roles. Mm. So Alistair, you're primarily like a writer and a director. Yeah. Yeah. And Karenina, you're primarily an actor. So would you say there has been a specific individual who's influenced your role or path into film at the moment? Um, Wow. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't think I have a conscious, I mean, I've got, filmmakers that I look up to and I, I'd, I'd like to I like the way that he directs or I like the way that she directs or I like her scripts or whatever but but I don't know if if any of those people were the reasons I got into the industry I think I got into the industry because I loved film sure and and I think like a lot of people you see yeah. the actors on the or the, the stars on the posters and you go oh I want to do that yeah and I went and, and did an acting thing for about about 30 seconds in I was like I don't like acting yeah, because there's not enough control. Because someone's sure. telling you what to say and how to say it and where to go. Yeah, and being the control freak that I am, I yeah. went, no, it's not for me. I'm gonna you have to I'm give gonna, yourself over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to be completely open to someone else. You know, essentially guiding you through the process. And sure. and I wanted to write and direct from about literally thirty seconds into going into the industry. So that was sort of um, my path. Karenina, I mean, what you were just saying about producing because yeah she's an actress in this but she was also a producer and sure. and and i don't know that maybe producing was something you were aiming no. at prior to this film yeah no i think but i think it just ties in because in my other life i was a biology teacher as well okay um so and and having been an artist before and then i because yeah i my whole life growing up i always said whenever like even at age 10 people would ask me what do you want to be when you grow up and i i'd say an entertainer or a marine biologist um paul walker was a marine biologist by the way can yeah. i just put that out there I oh and that. lisa That's kudrow itself. i think she's got a marine biology degree as I well i just think of costanza um, and seinfeld yeah, yeah. But um, so I did like I didn't get into I did a really good audition and I got really good feedback for my audition to get into musical theatre school in Australia straight out of high school. But they and didn't end up taking me um, and I got into marine biology. So I did marine biology degree sure. um, and all my like advisors, for lack of a better word. I don't like that word at all, but I can't think of a better way of saying it. Uh, mentors. There we yeah. go. Mentors around me were saying go do the science degree, you'll be a better performer because you'll have life experience and just mm. that you'll be – because I was 17 at the time, so they were like, you'll be 21, you'll be, you know, more of a grown-up, mm. you'll be a better performer. So I went and I did it and then I kind of felt like research wasn't for me but I'm really inspired by this lecturer. Why do I like science but my other artist friends – don't that's because I had good teachers maybe I could be that good teacher so I thought teaching's that bridge between science and the arts went and did that but because going from being an artist to a teacher I was watching the other like teachers yeah. and they're all like completely organized with all these like color-coded folders and I'm there with a notebook with things like hanging out of yeah. it. <laughs> so I was like all right I need to learn these skills so I became ultra organized and so now I think that really lends itself to producing because you just mm. like 
see everything just like, okay, I can streamline this activity. It's really bugging me that all mm. these artists are like, <laughs> like having these, it's like, no, it just needs to be this. Let's streamline it down the middle. So yeah, yeah I think that's, that's been, and, and that's been good because it's been able to focus that skill that I've acquired in an artistic way, yeah. which is great. It's really good. Um, in terms of acting, I was really struggling to think of an, of an actress that's, that's really inspired me because in theatre school at one point we got asked that and just to be different, I said Sarah Jessica Parker, okay. <laughs> which wasn't true at all. Although how many times have you watched I do Sex love her. I do love her, but she's not really inspiring um, in terms of like becoming an actress. I think, um, I don't know, I love Catherine Hepburn, like going old school okay. and the woman was branded as, you know, Hollywood poison at one point and she just – plugged she just worked and worked and and despite everything people were saying about her and then put her own money into producing um the philadelphia story and and put her yeah incredible film and got her career back on track and she's just she's she's just one of those people that is just like a legend she's an absolute legend so yeah excellent I mean, speaking of careers and life experience, what was your last regular nine to five before you embarked upon the film career? And like, what was the thing that made you switch out of it and think, this life isn't for me, I've got to do something else? <laughs> it was teaching for me. I do yeah. still have a day job, but I work for friends and he gives me a lot of leeway to do my own pursuits and he actually really supports what we're doing here as well so I don't know that I'd really call that a nine to five because he mm. lets me not work nine to five three days a week cool. <laughs> so hey, that's that's cool but teaching was definitely it I um I, I for a while there I was able to balance the both and I was getting decent money especially as a single person like it was really good money um and I kept getting promoted um and I thought okay well I've hit this kind of like I was coming close to the 10-year mark from moving to London from Australia and um, and I kept getting promoted as a teacher and I thought, well, maybe maybe I was wrong. Maybe maybe the time for that dream is done. I keep getting promoted as a teacher. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And when I when I made that decision, just everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. I just hated life so much. I met you at some point in that. I have no idea how you fell in love with me. Met me, then she hated life. I was, <laughs> that was how that went. I was so depressed. <laughs> Hopefully not an elder. I was so depressed. I kept she was call- really, you were. I kept oh. calling in sick and like at least two years before I'd always think, what, what's with these teachers always calling in sick for mental health? And it was me. I was that teacher mm. calling in sick for mental health days because mm. I just, I couldn't. I couldn't stand the thought of looking at kids. Like I just could not stand it. So... I just quit and thought, mm. let's see what happens. I'll just go back to supply and and but even give supply. Myself more. Even when you were doing supply, you weren't happy. Yeah, but it was. I mean, mm. it's still better because I don't have to care about the kids, which sounds awful. But when you're a burnout teacher, you just you can't. It, yeah. And it's not good for you. It's not fair on the kids. It's not fair on anyone. You just mm. you have to get out of it. Sure. So yeah. For me, it's funny you talk about promotion because for me, there was sort of promotion involved as well because I was working at a recruitment company as a, I don't know what, what my title was, some kind of headhunting person um, and um, uh, hated it and, wow. and hated almost all the people I work with. Uh, I used to get the, I used to get the, um, 
the Friday evening blues, leaving yeah. work on a Friday, knowing that I had to be back at work on the Monday. So it was hate that propelled so both just, of you into yeah, your film yeah. career I just, rather I just than hated, love. I hated, I was just horrible. And then, and then I got promoted and got mm. given my own department, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. And I got flown out to the south of France and treated to like this nine course meal with two different ways of serving foie gras. And it was just lavish. And I remember mm. sitting there and thinking, well, this is it. I've arrived. I've, I've, I've achieved what I set out to achieve at 29. Mm within this industry. Yeah. And then when all the, the dust has settled, I went, but I still hate it. Mm. And it's not going to get any better than this. Yeah. So, so what's the point? If I hate it when I'm here, then what's the point? So I quit. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you found your calling and yeah. even found each other because we don't often get to speak to couples on this podcast. Mm. Earlier in our series, in Review Sweat, we've reviewed High Maintenance, which was made by a couple at the time called Ben Sinclair and Katja Blickfeld, who produced this long-running series that went from Vimeo Pro or Vimeo Selects into uh, HBO. And we've also been fortunate enough to interview Daniel Edelstein and Hilary Powell, who made a feature film called The Bank Job. Mm. So... Delving into a bit of your personal lives, how did the two of you meet and realise that you'd be good together? And this gets that's two different. That's two different. Realise we met and then then realise we we were good together. No, it was pretty. Um, it was a friend's birthday party. Okay. Um, so uh, we're both Christians, both churchgoers, and 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 I'd kind of just come to faith and was kind of exploring it. Uh, and I went to the birthday party of uh, an actress that I'd worked with years before. Um, and because I knew she was a Christian and sure. I was like, I want to find out more about this God fella that you keep talking about. Yeah. So uh, I went to her birthday and cue Karenina walking in and we chatted for, um, a few minutes. And then she said to me, I'm going to go to the bar. Do you want me to buy you a drink? And because I'm a non-drinker and I've been yeah. sipping on a diet Coke for about an hour, yeah. um, I didn't need one. So sure. I just politely said, no, I'm good. Thanks. And I think at that point you went, you thought, sort of thought, okay. So, so, my so you was hovering and you spoiled her chat up line basically. Yeah, well, basically well, yeah. you get it. He gets it. Well, <laughs> done. Yeah. most people I have to like explain my side. Okay. So for, for me, because I, I've, if this gets quite spiritual, so I'm, I'm, I don't want to like, I don't want anybody listening to think I'm like imposing my faith on you. Please, that's not what I'm doing. Just please take it as if I say the word God, you can take it as the universe or whatever you believe God to be. Um, sure. So for me, I've always felt very like connected to God and I, I, you know, feel like I can hear him. And and in relationships past, I've, you know, walked into a room and heard that guy over there, that mm. guy over there. One time it was literally a guy standing literally behind me and it's like turn, sure. I heard turn around and I turned around and there he was and I wow. dated him for about a month. He was the last guy I dated before I moved to London and he was amazing, absolutely amazing guy. Sure. Um, prior to this, I'd been in a year and a half long distance relationship, which was good for for the for the time that I was in and I just felt like this is it. I'd, Felt like I needed to cut that off. He and I had cut that off. I was like, "Look, I need you to not." Talk. And I and I felt like I needed to go through like a. For me, I was like, "Okay, so I'm going to be just three months working on myself. I'm just going to like really connect with me and God, and just work on myself and and where I want to go and who I want to be, and that's what I want to do." Three weeks later, mm. 
I'm getting ready for my for my friend's birthday and I'm like, why am I getting dressed up so much? I, I don't know. I'm just going to go with it. I walk in and literally I hear the guy standing behind Hester, who's yeah. our friend. Mm. And I You've was got like, very good hearing. Yeah, I do. Clearly. <laughs> I'm like tapped in and I was like, okay. So she steps aside. She's like, oh, this is my friend Alistair. And I was like, okay, God. That's right. the reaction you want. <laughs> sure. That's, yeah. that's what, when, you, when the love of your yeah. life sees you for the first time. Yeah. Like, oh. But the other thing is, is I used to date an Alistair as well. And I was like, oh God, you're giving me another Alistair. What? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So we're chatting and I'm literally there like going, oh, okay, cool. All right, figuring this guy out. And then because as a woman, <laughs> I always like to, to show like I can look after myself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why I offered to buy him a drink. Cool. So it's like we're equals. Yeah. I'm not, I don't need you to look out. That's what I always do it. Like I'm like, I don't need you to look after me. I can look yeah. after myself. Would you like me to buy you yeah. a drink? And he was like, no. And I was like, oh, maybe I've misread this whole situation. <laughs> but then later I did this. I don't know if it was the red wine that I I think bought. this is better from my my okay. side of so, right, so tell, I'm going to pick this up this here. So, so Hester had introduced me to this other guy that was at her party who was an aspiring filmmaker. I think he made like one short film sure. and he wanted to talk to me about what I'd done and, and my career and sure. my films. And um, uh, not that's like my favorite thing to do is to talk about film, right? Yeah. So sure. I mean, this is it. So I'm in this conversation with this guy and I'm having a great time. And I just felt this like, this, this feeling in me, like, why are you talking to this guy? you need to be over there with that girl. Yeah. And and I literally, he was in the middle of a sentence. I don't yeah. know his name. I don't know what he was saying. I, yeah. think it was I didn't Tom. even say, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I just turned and walked away in the wow. middle of this conversation <laughs> and went and stood next to this lady here. And it was, as soon as I got there, it was like, ah, this is where I'm supposed to I be. I did something in yeah. particular that I knew would either, if, if, if it was right, he was going to come over. If it wasn't, then he was just yeah. going to stay there. And then he came over and I was like, oh, that's right. Do you know what? I like <laughs> this idea that you kind of kicked the door down and said, who's this Godfather? I want to have word yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah. And you're like tapped into your like higher power of the universe and like, God's just basically saying, Alistair, shut up. I'm trying to bring your future. He does say yeah. that's what he does. He, he, he just kind of like moves you, moves you, moves you places. Cause I'd also, I mean, you know, this whole thing of like butterflies and all the rest of it in love, mm. like, I'm going to like, I, w neither of us, we've said no, this before, yeah. we're, neither of us are each other's like physical type. Sure. And, but as I chose to follow that and chose mm. to love him, every time I looked at him, I was like, is he getting more attractive? I was. Yeah. Like, mm. I've been working, working on it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's, I think that's what. You had a shave. That's, that's what it, it was. That was yeah. the trick. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> I think love is less, love is less giving into the butterflies in your stomach and more choosing you choose that person every day. You choose to, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's hard. Marriage is hard for anyone oh thinking about getting married, oh especially after two years of lockdown, lockdown. And, and making a film oh. together. Yeah. But, but like you say, yeah, every day you have to choose to, to keep working at it and yeah. it's worth it because yeah. it just is. Yeah. I mean, I like this idea that uh, hate brought you out of your <laughs> career and love brought you together. Oh, that's nice. And yeah. now you're not only Christian, but you're creative and you're, mm in that element of finding your higher power to do the work that you're interested in. So what was the first opportunity or element? I mean, obviously there's the marriage, but what was the first creative opportunity for you to collaborate together? I, honestly, it was, this was the first time we really properly were. We did a tiny little short film called The Dog Walker, yeah. which, which I wrote in a day. 
Wow. That um, was just to help me with my show To help with your show well. reel. And right. that was it. And, and Did that it help was, you in to do the dog walk in any particular way? Not not especially. It was just it was just a bit of fun. Sure. It was just um uh an excuse to go out. We had a had a, a camera available to me that day. I think it might have just been my camera. It was, actually. It was just yeah. your little DSLR. Um, and and uh Carolina wanted some footage for a show reel and um we were free. Uh, so we just called up a friend and went and shot something and I wrote it. I've done yeah. that a couple of times because you get to a point as a filmmaker when you've made enough short films and you're sort of, um, I've got my festival standard shorts that are winning awards, but you're sure. sort of waiting for that, that glass ceiling to break. You're waiting to have the opportunity to make a feature or to make a series or something. Yeah. So you don't really want to go back and make another short because it's a sideways step or even a backward step. Sure. Um, so it was almost a case of just flexing my creative muscles and j- j- get my juices going. Yeah. Because, yeah, I can write a little sketch in an hour and then go out and film it. And, and Karen is a good enough actress to pull it off. And I think that mm. was literally the only thing we'd collaborated on. Wow. Um, I mean, other than that, when we first started going out, he'd be like, oh, read this script, read oh, yeah, this, that. read yeah. that. Um, so arrogant. <laughs> well, you do, do, as a creative, right? Help me out yeah. here, guys. As, 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 as a creative, you, you, um, uh, when you want to impress the girl that you're seeing, yeah. you show them your art. You but, want to show them that you're productive. Yeah. This is it. So but, um, I was showing her my scripts. But off the back of that, um, there was one script for Night Watchman that I was really like, you should make this. like, yeah. And because I was a Mighty Boosh fan to. as well. Yeah. I was like, it should be as naff as possible. There should be, because it's about a superhero. I was like, it should be like when he's flying, it should be like a little action figure and you should even like see the fishing line. I think that would yeah. be hilarious. So and so that came about, and then I think a guy did that called. um, uh, He was uh, he did the Marvel versus DC stuff online, but I think he had to take it down because he wasn't um, because he was using then he was using the material and he couldn't make the money off it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, this was this was a guy. So Nightwatch Man is a. A guy who's got superpowers, but he's yeah. a millennial, so he doesn't want to use them. Oh, okay. So he'd rather sit on his backside and play video games yeah. than go out and save the a world. A bit like Hancock. A little bit a like little Hancock, bit, yeah, but yeah, not yeah. less kind of like, um, more tongue-in-cheek than Hancock. Hancock's sure. yeah. actually quite serious yeah, yeah. as a film. Mm. Um, this isn't serious at all. It's just no. silly. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it's it, on Prime now. So, yeah, you know, so nice. it's, yeah. it's come together. But yeah, that was, I mean, yeah. And so then there was a couple of other things. There was another film that you did um that you kept well there's bits and pieces that you're doing and you'd come home and you're like oh this person's doing this and I'm like are you having these like are you are you having the conversation that you're having with me with this person well no I'm like well maybe stuff would get resolved if you did (laughs) actually physically say it to them so yeah so then when anonymous came and he was having those same conversations with me I was like all right I'm gonna step in because I I'm 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 yeah. sick of listening to it. I'd rather I'll I'll be the person that actually says this to stuff to this push. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. I think I think oh, well, I'm kind of just realizing this now. Mm. Um, but when you write something, yeah, and you're the director and you're the main producer of it, and yeah. it's very much your baby, and yeah. you bring people into the team and sure. you sort of expect them to have that same passion. Yeah. And of course they never do. They, they very rarely do. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's always been the the problem is that it's getting that work ethic and getting that commitment out of people yeah. um, that you're showing. And because Karen is my wife, yeah. she's passionate about me. Yeah. And so oh, I'm by proxy a hard bitch about after the... being a teacher as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so I'm like, I'm not scared to have this conversation. You haven't done this. Why yeah. not? <laughs> yeah. 
there was the hard talk of you're a filmmaker who's not making films get on with it yeah basically yeah so what i was really interested i was going to change i had a i had a question but i might have to change it because i was really interested to understand the film geek or the film opportunity that kind of helped you find your voice or direction but it sounded like just before you was getting into anonymous you're still kind of in the area where you're trying to maybe find your own voice or character the way you want to express or have I got that wrong? Well, it's not so much that. I don't know. First first of all, I'm a writer first and foremost. And I started out as a a writer. And initially I was writing and other people were directing my films. And then I started to direct more out of the fact that that I was watching a lot of these films and thinking they haven't quite got what I've written in an arrogant, ridiculous way that that is. And, and, And I started started winning awards as a director. So if I'm being brutally honest, I don't know if I've ever sought out my voice as a director. Sure, sure. I have a script that has a style and and it sits within a genre. And therefore, I I feel I know the way to tell that story. Yeah. But I don't know if I would like the next thing. I mean, if you look at Night Watchman, for example, as a slapstick, ridiculous, very British comedy, and then Anonymous, which is this very dark, sinister yeah. feature film, they're yeah. very different. Sure. I think. And so, I th- sorry, I was go just going to say off the back of that, I think something um, that's that's worth bringing up as well. One of ours talking. Sound like I'm a mother here. Like, <laughs> oh, this, my, you. Um, one of ours' favorite directors is John Favreau, mm. and yeah. one of the things that you always say about John yeah. Favreau is you can't. It's it's not like Wes Anderson where you're like, oh, that's a Wes Anderson film, mm. or Tarantino. That's definitely a Tarantino film. Yeah. Most people can't pick out a John Favreau film, or at least yeah. if they know one, they can't then identify this other one. Yeah, based as on the, the style. Same. Like if they've seen Iron Man, they can't ima- imagine that the same director directed Chef or Elf. Yeah, They're yeah. They're so different. Yeah. Or the he he, or he the goes he goes with the style of the film rather yeah. than his own style and yeah I think that is what kind of director you're going that's, you're yeah, going to continue that to be. That speaks to me. Sure. Yeah. In other words, the film is way more important than me. Yeah, and it always will be. Okay. And Karenina, as an actor, you'd been on a short film circuit yourself. Mm. Did you feel that making anonymous was closer to the types of character you want to <laughs> wanted to portray? Or the challenges, um, perhaps. It in was it was a lot more challenging, and on a short film. So I've always thought method acting was dumb, yeah. and like, who would ever do that? And because, of, like you said, mostly short films, um, or, or commercial bits and pieces, and and you just kind of pick it up, and then. You go back to your phone, like most actors know it's a long waiting. So everyone yeah. always has like the initial nice conversation, but then nobody talks to each other <laughs> as a mm. cast for like most of the rest of it because, you know, you're just going to be sitting around for so long. Making conversation is just it's just too difficult. So you just sit there or you read or whatever while the crew does their thing for an hour between 30 second takes. Um so I always thought, oh, I'm somebody who's really able to pick up my character and then put them down. Mm. And then even coming from a theatre background, um, you, you do you, you do this character for an hour and a half and then you go, you go shopping the next day and blah, 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 all the rest of it. Playing Liv. <laughs> oh, my God. 
I think so. Can days. I jump in there? Because it was is a lot and it's emotionally heartbreaking character to play. Yeah. But also because she was one of the production team, she was a producer on the film, I think she had to compartmentalize. You have, she had to actively compartmentalize and go, yeah. right, now I'm the character. Mm. Because as the producer, yeah. I'm thinking this way. Uh, and you yeah. had to get you had to have the switch between Liv. I should have had the switch, but and I thought I had the switch, but reflecting back on yeah. production, I didn't have the switch. Yeah. So I was trying to produce as between sets, between takes mm. as mm. live. And yeah. I think, you know, you see I, the film, you know what yeah, lives like. Yeah. I I hurt some people's feelings and yeah. if any of them are listening, I 100% apologize. I, I did apologize at the time, mm. but I just want to also publicly apologize. Yeah. And, I, um, and, and I think some of that's on me as well because cause I wrote a film about addiction recovery and I asked 11 actors to sit in a circle yeah. and bring their truth, their dark, depressing truth into that circle Sure. for what seven days in that circle? We had wow. a seven day shoot just sitting in a, in that one That's in that an one interesting room. thing that I'd really like to get into. Go for it, man! Um, but mm. I want to just hold you to that thought for a moment because I wanted to ask: When did you or either of you, because it's like a co collaboration, first get the seed or the, perhaps the calling to create anonymous? Mm. I've been thinking about it for a while. Um, I'm uh, uh, sober myself, and obviously the film is about. Uh, addiction recovery and and um uh i've had the idea to make a an addiction themed film mm. um for a long time but i didn't want to make the same thing that's been made before where sure. the focus is on uh, oh we need that sexy um scene where such and such person ods or yeah. we need to see the substance being taken or we need to see um the downfall of a human being as they fall i didn't want any of that i wanted to sure. make it about recovery sure um but I didn't really know how to do it. Yeah. And then at the start of lockdown, we were actually together in a, in a um, corner shop and we saw a guy, this is like day two of mm-hmm. lockdown. He had a basket with him and he was loading bottles of wine and vodka and beer into his basket. And mm-hmm. I remember just thinking, this is his lockdown. Yeah. He's been told work from home. And to him that translates as I'm going to get wasted every day and, and my boss will never know. Sure. And I thought if this goes on and as it turned out, it did for longer than a couple of weeks, he's going to have real problems. Yeah. Cause he's behind closed doors. Cause he's behind closed doors. He's yeah. got no, he's, he's not accountable to anybody. So yeah. that, that's when I went, this is the time to make this film. And then mm. I started writing it. And then, um, I had the initial idea, uh, which was to make a real time, yeah. uh, film at an AA meeting, yeah. uh, and celebrate the people in it. Um, and sort of brought the idea to Karenina. And she said to me, it's going to have to be a really eventful meeting. Sure. If, yeah, I, if you're going I, to pull that one off. I thought when he explained it to me, I was like, oh, so this is another short film. I didn't think you wanted to do another short film. He was mm-hmm. like, no, it's going to be a feature. And I'm like, yeah. so these characters are really going to have to flesh out. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't see this going for more than 15 minutes. But then you said at the table read, you said it worked. Yeah, the absolutely. The draft one absolutely. T- table read, yeah. it worked. So, yeah. so that's when you know as a writer, when you do the table read and it works, you go, I've got something here. And Karenina, when did you feel that it was your duty almost to be part of this project as well? Um, about, does, about a month in, two months in, something like that. After yeah, I'd written it. Yeah. So before the table read, but after you'd written the... No, no, probably after script. the table read. She was always, always going to act in it because sure. I sort of wrote the part for her. Okay. Um, but um, in terms of producing it, it wouldn't have been my first choice to bring... To, not because she was not brilliant, but because... Um, 
you know, I hadn't worked there in that capacity before and I wanted sure. her to act and I wanted to have that opportunity to just act. Um, but as she said, there were a lot of people on the team that just weren't pulling their weight and I was getting frustrated yeah. and she kind of stepped in about I, a month in. Yeah, I a, could I could see that. Table read. I could see that some of the skills that I was picking up from work in, in my digital marketing agency mm. just would really benefit what was happening. Like yeah. a lo- I think a lot of people, a lot of artists um, – just see the see a film as art and i've now because of my day job i'm like it's a product yeah. like and and you know you want to be successful mm. alistair wants to be successful at this alistair wants to well, i mean we both want to be able to like 100% live off this yeah. and if you just look at it as like a piece of art that that you're just going to like tell your friends about you're never going to be able to live off that. Do you sure. know what I mean? Mm. So it needed that extra oomph that, that like, this is something that we need to be able to sell and we need to start looking at it in that way. Yeah. Um, and which, which I think rubbed a few people the wrong way because they wanted to stay artists and sure. they didn't want to like have to sell themselves and prostitute them, feel like prostituting themselves or whatever. And but when you say artists, are we talking about the cast or crew or people both, who all, are, the, all of the above? Yeah. And I think that's, that's people like you were saying earlier, when you leave whatever awful job you were doing before, whether it yeah. was teaching or, or recruitment or whatever, and you move into art, you kind of want to put all that side of things sure. behind you and you just want to make good art. Yeah. And the dream is that you make an amazing piece of art and then everybody sees it and goes, and it oh, that's amazing. Commercial. Here's some money. But of course, yeah. it doesn't work that that's, way. That's sure. called magic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's not real. So, so, so there's two sides to it. You do have to get good at making the art. You can't, yeah. if, if the film was bad, yeah. you know, we wouldn't have won the awards we won the other night. We wouldn't have the nominations we're getting. Sure. The attention is we had, we had the highest uh, attendance in festival history okay. um, at London Rocks. So that was, that was huge for us. And, and if the film was bad, it wouldn't be able to do that. But equally, if we weren't, it, weren't selling it in the right way, mm. it would still be a good film, but nobody would turn up to watch it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's like if, I mean, had Leonardo da Vinci not had all of his massive backers, dude mm. would have just been painting Mona Lisa in his barn and nobody would ever know about it. You know, I'm sure there's sure. hundreds, there's thousands. Such a, such a random. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> but the guy it. was a socialite, you know, yeah. he was out there, he was networking, he was, he was getting the money in. Mm. in. In fact, I think there's one painting he got like a lot of money for and then painted something completely different. Okay. Like he got commissioned to do something. And That's the like, dream right there. Screw it, I'm going to do whatever. <laughs> it's Gus Van Zandt with yeah. remaking Psycho. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know that story. After no. he won the Oscar for um, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. And the studio said, right, you can do whatever you want. He said yeah. he wanted to make a, a frame by frame remake of Psycho. Oh, wow. And they were like, <laughs> oh, really? Is made. that really what yeah. you want to do? He's like, yep, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and it is. It's the exact same film, but with mm-hmm. different cast yeah. and in color. Like, Amazing. It's just ridiculous. But yeah, I think, yeah, just, just bringing that, you've just, you've got to have the balance of, I know how to make good art and I know how to knock on every door possible to make sure that this art is also as successful as it can be. Cause there's all sorts of rubbish out there that, that is getting seen so much because Mm. they have the people willing to knock on the doors and, and and Mm. knock on every door until they get a hard no. So, yeah. So Karenina, as a producer who was coming from an acting background, did that, have any influence on your selection in the casting process or recruiting 
actors to come into this casting project. was all you i don't think you were you were just sort of there but i don't think you were solidly on the team with I, casting i was um yeah we did do we cast jake and we cast violet and we cast chloe mm. and i think i think everybody else was someone i'd worked with before sure and knew um so it was literally a case and i think that's a big thing as a director as a filmmaker you want to go with what you know Sure, and and if you know somebody is a good actor, talented, um, uh, professional, uh, good work ethic, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, then you will use them again. Um, we really wanted to, because you know, it's it, it's it's the ongoing thing. You know, you see these incredible actors, and and they're just trying to make their way, and and not getting cast in this or that because you know there's <laughs> there's so many. So it was just like we want to give you a springboard. We'd, sure. lo- we'd mm. love this to be a springboard for all of us and give you give you the leg up, give you the opportunity to say, I've been in a feature film, mm. you know. So that that was really the intent behind casting. The intent those behind crowdfunding. Because yeah. the the, we, we had relatively relatively early in the process, we had some some interest, never materialised, but I think it's because we sort of shoo-shooed it quite quickly, which was an investor from the States who was willing to put, you know whatever it was six figure sum into the movie but then that would be but you need to cast a a name in the lead and you need to cast a name for this role oh so they pre-selected the cast so those are the conditions not necessarily pre-selected just somebody who could sell the film sure and and that makes sense from a business perspective Mm. but by that point we'd sort of already um i'd already committed in my head and that this was going to be a crowdfunded low budget film sure we wanted to make a film We, we chose to make a film for so I never crowdfunded even shorts. I've never done a crowdfund. I'd always had had funding from somewhere. So I've never been through that process as well. Okay. And, I mean, can you tell us a bit more about how the crowdfunding campaign worked for you and your film? <laughs> uh, slowly and painfully. Um, it's hard. It's and listen. Anyone who's yeah. out there looking to do it, whether it's for a short or a feature, um, do it because it's it's an it's a heck of an experience. But you have to put all ego aside. Yeah. All yeah. ego. If you have any ego, you're not going to make the money. You yeah. have to. You. I was. I was messaging every single person in my Facebook friends yeah. list. People I, you haven't spoke to in twenty and, years. And <laughs> you can't even. You can't even get your head around the psychology of giving either. Like, because I yeah. had a friend who I haven't seen since I graduated high school sure. give forty quid, and I had friends who came to our wedding who gave nothing. Mm. So yeah. it's it's like wh- yeah. what's there's no logic in it. So you've just got to like like I said Take knock on every yeah. single door, yeah. door mm. post every single day because and and you know I had compl- complaints from some people, you know, you uh, you're making us post too often. It's like your friends aren't on social media every yeah. day. Sure. So you need to have a post every single day for the day that they are on. Cuz you have yeah. to catch them. This is oh, it. This is it. Yeah. We, this we, is we, it. we found out that surprised me as well because you would get I would get friends phoning me up or texting me or whatever and saying, "Oh, I've seen you're doing this anonymous film." Yeah. And 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 literally these are people that I've sort of sent yeah. messages to three yeah. times and then and then tagged in posts yeah. and after the fourth or fifth time they go oh yeah, yeah. no I'm, I'm i'm i must do that yeah and it's kind of like so it is it this annoying yeah. thing where you've put it all the information and the advertising and the links on facebook and then so 10 minutes later yeah. your friend likes the photo of you down the pub 
but they haven't quite yeah. clicked kind on of. the, yeah. the yeah. message that was there it's, 10 minutes it's a process. earlier. So if you, if yeah. you're just going to click a like on a photo, it's just pop yeah. and you're done. It, may, it might be a, might be two taps of the thumb yeah. and that's the extent of it. Yeah. If you've got to, you've got to get your credit card out, you've got to go yeah. through. And it's not, they don't want to do it. It's just a process. The process. And they yeah. look at it and they go, I'll do that later. And they yeah. put it in their phone. I, so you've got to remind them and remind yeah. them and remind them and then not be ashamed that you're that guy. Going. Yeah. And, and to be fair, um, yeah. one sort of feeds the other. So yeah. you sort of have... Uh, your friends will, will put in, we're trying to get 18,000 pounds. That was yeah, the number yeah. we were trying to get to. And your friends will be putting in 20 quid, 30 quid, 40 quid. And that yeah. helps and that gets you momentum. Yeah. And then there'll be some, a lot of the people that we either didn't know or sort of loosely knew yeah. um, were our big investors that were put in 1,500 or, or, or yeah. sometimes more. Um, uh, and and we had, I think, four or five big investors. Yeah. And only one of them, I think, two of them that I did I know previously. So the, the, the were you do get investment from other yeah. places, but you have to have your your ground game or base. Yeah. Do you think, know what I mean? I think as having ha, having tried to release my own music in the past as yeah. well, um, I knew what were my downfalls from doing that, and I didn't want it to happen here because particularly I had I, I remember at one point. I'd, I'd had music up on Spotify for at least three years and a friend of mine who I'd known for a lot longer than that, at some point she was like, oh, you've got music on Spotify. And I was like, we've been friends this whole time <laughs> and I've been posting about it. How yeah. do you not know that I have music on Spotify? And it was at that point I was like, I didn't post enough, you know, mm. I didn't, I didn't do this enough. Otherwise she would know. And if my, if one of my good friends who I go out with all the time doesn't know that I have music on Spotify, how, in, how in the hell is the rest of the world going to know that I mm. have music on Spotify? So you just, you have to put all ego aside. Somebody once said to me, you'll never make money from friends. Yeah. And, and that, and that is I like, I say that having like gotten a lot of the contributions from friends, mm. but it was only because I knocked on every single door yeah. and Four I know times. that we probably, couldn't do yeah, yeah even yeah. my sister even my sister it wasn't until i sent her a personal message she was like oh i've been meaning to do this now that you've sent me a personal message i'll do it mm. my own sister mm. needed wow. a personal message to actually mm. like give money so wow. yeah I, you, you have to put ego aside and if i could do if i could give two tips one which i knew going in one which i should have known going in and didn't didn't yeah. and I hold my hands up and this is something we i, I did wrong um, the first one would be be aware that these crowdfunding campaign sites have fees. Yeah. Um, so whatever you're trying to raise, make sure you add in the, uh, the takeout the, the take percentage because yeah. they take, they, 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 they retain their percentage, but they also retain some money for, I think it's like six months after you, um, after this, the, the end date, sure. which is for potential refunds, anyone who yeah. wants their money back. Okay. So, so you don't actually get what you think you're going to get. You don't get, you get sure. less. So make sure you're, you're topping up your, your number. And the other thing I would say is that your campaign starts two months before your campaign starts. Oh yeah. yeah. I would so basically, you need to create a platform and a base. You need yeah. to do, but but if, you, if your start date is September the 1st, mm. your can as in the start of your campaign, your online campaign, your campaign should start on July the 1st. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you need to be, uh, I, we used Indiegogo, which, which you would say again. you wouldn't say again, no. but, but having said that once we did proper research I found this incredible, they really give you incredible like um, guidelines guidelines on yeah. what you should do and how to set things out and when you should do things when. And it was 
it was really it was actually really good like if you followed it to the letter mm. it, it made it all the good. difference my, like my, my problems with the them were more were more to do with the fact that we had people who were trying to pay yeah, yeah. and they couldn't Right. And because it was the middle of lockdown, there was something wrong with their system. It was sure. the currency. The lockdown, we had so some their people. office was closed. That's harsh. So we literally had people going, I tried to put in £100 today and I yeah. couldn't, wouldn't oh. let me. So never mind. I'll oh, get yeah. you a drink instead. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, I kind of need it's the money. It's not mind. the process. And the you need to see the, the numbers bill. going up. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, challenging, but such a good experience. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the thing that, that taught us that we could work together. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. that was something I also wanted to ask because you, you thank you for elaborating so much on the crowdfunding stroke campaign process. Mm. But what did you learn about yourselves as individuals huh. going through that process? Like what were the things that you thought you couldn't do perhaps that you learned to do or what were the, what were the flaws and weaknesses? I was, I was pretty proud of my line producing skills on this. And, and that's to say, um, when I set out to make the film, I had sort of, you budget everything and you go, well, it's going to cost this much for locations and this much for food and this much for transport and this much for, and, and everything, everything came either bang on budget or under budget mm. um, with the exception of um, uh, art direction. Yeah. Okay. So I was pretty proud. I was pretty proud of, of, of that side of, of managing to pull a feature film off. Yeah. Writing and directing aside. I've done that before, sure. but actually managing the budget. Okay. And how about yourself, Karenina? Um, I really, cause one of the, one of the reasons I did hold back when releasing my music was I was like, Oh, people, I've, I've always had imposter syndrome, um, and thinking that people don't actually like me and that they're just pretending to like me. Um, and forcing myself to do the crowdfunding thing properly. I realized people do actually like me and aren't just pretending so it's it gave me a lot more confidence to go you know what let's let's keep the let's keep this going let's keep riding this wave and and making uh and posting about this film keeping people engaged Mm. to to make this film as much of a success as it, it possibly can be so yeah and I think off the back of the screening we've we've really seen that we invited um we invited a sober influencer sober dave to the screening and he he like that's the biggest thing is is somebody from the community actually going to connect with the film and he did and he reposted about it and we got inundated with where can i see this where can i see this mm-hmm. one person even email uh, saying that they'll email their own local cinema to in ask Long if Island? You, in Rhode Island. Rhode Island. And I was just yeah. like, so if you live in Rhode Island, it might team. be on cool. in a cinema near yeah. you before it's on anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's good news. Well done to you, Rhode Island. You lucky people. <laughs> um, another question I wanted to ask, and you touched on it briefly, was um, this situation you had about the cast members who contributed to the film. And I was wondering, in, the, in a certain way, did you find it difficult to access or research the individuals who take part in AA meetings? Because it is supposed to be anonymous. and it's Myself it's, as a writer or as, a, as the actors? Um, in terms of, well, both really. Mm. Like In terms of the accessibility, because Alcoholics Anonymous is obviously yeah, 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 a private yeah. confidential group. And it's like a fight club. Um, we don't talk about fight <laughs> club situation. So... In terms of being, a, if you could give us mm. the writer's perspective yeah. and the actor's perspective, how do you research and access those stories to kind of I was in, be creative? Yeah, so I was incredibly lucky in terms of the fact that um, a very good friend of ours from a, a, 
a, a Bible study group that we used to run um, is a recovering cocaine addict. And um, he was one of the, well, probably the first person I called and said, what can you tell me about this experience? And Actually, obviously, he reached out to you. After that. Pretty, oh, he reached out he? after okay, that. So, right. so, so after a, a week or so after that, um, he actually reached out to me and said that he rang me, I guess, a week into lockdown and he was high and he was basically like, I've relapsed and I had a really big relapse. So that was an experience in itself. But, but before that had happened, um, he was really open and really engaging and he gave me um, other contacts and links and people I could speak to. And everybody's honestly really open and really welcoming because I think they embraced the idea that the unique way in which I was trying to make the film, which is sure. to celebrate the recovered or the recovering, I should say, addicts, rather than make demons addicts. of them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, and I think because of that, I had a lot more um, grace from the community. Sure. Um, yeah, so so I always think when I'm researching anything for a film, I always think how lucky I, lucky I am that I'm doing this now and not 25 years ago when I would have had to go to a library. Sure. I can just sit at home, open my laptop and yeah. and, and do a search on the internet. Mm. Um, and there's so much stuff you can get off there. So sure. uh, research is not, uh, yeah, it was good, great fun. I was very lucky, but sure. it wasn't too difficult. And how about yourself? Um, so, yeah, so I, th- I think um, as, as some service users become more comfortable with their sobriety and their recovery journey, I think that they're more open to allowing people to know who they are and that they're recovering. Um, so you can find like people who sh- putting their shares up on YouTube and, and that there's like whole channels. So, which is helpful because there might still be some people who don't feel comfortable going to an actual group yet. So to have that online gives people who, for, for whatever reason, can't get to a group, but they can still hear somebody's story. Mm. And I think, mm. but, but I, I honestly think those people who are willing to share, have that recorded and shared online are probably at a place where yes, they started anonymous, but they feel like they're okay with people knowing that, that uh, they're on that, that journey. Owning their own sure. journey. Yeah. yeah. Own- what, what are the things I'm going to jump and ask you, I'm going to ask my wife a question. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. um, Cause it I think it's really interesting and it kind of pertains to this it is, is, um, the what you always say about making the decision as an actor, where Liv was at within the twelve steps, yeah. and also where she thought she was at, yeah. because they're two different things. Sure. I think I think one of the biggest things about the film is it's it's um, not glorifying AA meetings. We know we we know and we recognize that AA is not the only way to recovery. Mm. Like, sure. and one of the big things about the film is showing. You know, being Christians, we know that anywhere people are, there's always flaws. There's always mm. going to be, mm. you know, churches are full of flawed people. Anybody who thinks that they're they're better or perfect is is an idiot. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, but you need to get over yourself. Um, <laughs> so, so it really shows these are people on their journey, but also recognizing their flaws and showing some of their flaws. Not to the point of like having somebody OD in the corner, but you know. Mm. my character comes on to the new guy like that's not on (laughs) you're not supposed to do that um so so that's 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 where that's at but I really I not everyone did this but I felt like and and I think because I was I think I did it partly because I was kind of struggling to tap into her and I thought and also I really wanted to do 
the AA community justice as well. So mm. I really looked into the actual 12 steps. Mm. Actually, it came off, it came off um, me doing social media posts and trying to like connect to the different 12 steps. Sure. Um, and I thought I felt like a, I felt like a fake to posting about the 12 steps, but not actually really understanding them myself. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take my character through the 12 steps. Mm. So I sat down and I've still got the notebook somewhere and I, you know, did the 12 steps and like I fully fleshed it out. And there's a step four. I can't even remember what it is, but you oh no, you make a searching inquiry mm-hmm. and you have to like list everything. Fearless in searching moral inventory. I think like you're looking thing. at like what are what are your stumbling blocks? What what keeps coming up? What da 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 all of this? And it's definitely something that most people in the recovery community will keep coming back to because as you work through more stuff, you figure out more of your demons. And so you have to go back to step four and acknowledge those demons and then work through them once Mm. again and then go back. And that's, do you know, that's, I think that's something we should all do as humanity is like, go back. What, what am I, what are my failures? Not in a like, oh, I failed as a human being, but what, how am I like failing myself and how do I fix that? You know, how mm. do I move through that? So I got- That's the key though, is the how do you, it, it, it's don't just access them and then have them sitting there. Yeah. Sure. Access them with the intent of moving through it. Yeah. Sure. I, I kind of figured out, I, I, she was, she felt she was at step eight probably- Actually, no, I think she really thought she was at step 12. She wasn't at step 12. She wasn't at step 12. <laughs> she really, she was probably somewhere around, she she kind of knew in her heart, thought more in her heart that she was realistically at step eight, but probably more realistic back at, at step four, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but step eight is where you're... I th- Oh my gosh, I feel it's really bad now. Step eight is made a list of all make persons all- we it. had harmed yeah. and became willing because to make amends to them all. Because there's a bit in it. Am I allowed to talk about yeah. it? There's a bit in it. So we have this moment of domestic abuse in it, which I want to say in case anyone wants to go see it and might be triggered by that. Um mm. And um, oh my god, I'm really I'm being emotionally affected by it. So can I can I jump in? So when we did the ADR for people that don't know, that's um, when actors get brought back into the sound sound booth. That's audio 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 dialogue replacement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and redo their lines. So when we when we because my my lovely wife is Australian, but her character is not. Yeah. So (laughs) so we had to bring her back in and just re go over a couple of the lines. Um, and it was maybe four or five months after we'd shot, maybe about four months after we'd wrapped yeah. filming. Um, so she very much sort of put Liv down. And mm. then she, um, we got her into the, into the booth while we were doing the sound and we had the film playing and she starts to cry as she's watching her own performance, wow. which just shows how disconnected she was when she yeah. was playing Liv because as, a, as, a, as an, an actor in her, in her own right, as a human being, sure. watching the performance of herself she was affected by it, which I think is quite a tricky thing to do. Having sure. ha- having said that, I went in my last year of well, in in my last performance for theatre school, we did alternate casts, mm. and my so watching watching the other girl sing the song, I knew the spot, and I had in my mind like what was the trigger to make her cry. So mm. watching her 
the moment she'd hit that spot, I'd cry in the audience. Sure. Like, because... Because trigger point. Yeah, yeah, it was my trigger point. Mm. So, so Liv's trigger point, her trigger for her addiction was based on the fact that her stepfather would um, abuse her mother. So she, she'd actually started um, inhaling solvents um, as a way to, dist- to try and distract him from, his, from her mum. And it didn't work, but it had set things off. So then to see domestic abuse happen in front of her in her safe space was very triggering. Mm-hmm. This me- he- And he leaves, but he comes back. And it was, it was, I don't know if I came, I can't remember if I came to it in, in doing the notes or if I came to it on set, I, I, I'll be honest, I can't remember where it was, but I realized that this was a moment where she could make amends with her stepfather Sure. In a safe way, like she may never be able to go and physically see him, but she might be, she, if if she's been there long enough, and I think that she was there long enough, she knows that this could be her, her stepfather could be somewhere at an AA meeting sure. and trying to, trying to yeah. you know, recover himself and try and make himself a better person. Um, and, and so, I, and if and if he is making that choice, then he is forgivable. So she could make amends. She's she's able to make amends with that thing that triggered her initially through this guy. Mm. And I don't know if you wrote. Did you write it like that? No, or is I that wish I had. <laughs> 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 but can I just say as well that, yeah. that gives me a chance to get a big shout out to the actor that plays Peter, Go Philip Wolf, because because um, it was a really proud moment on Saturday. We had uh, the award ceremony and we won Best Director, Best Actress for Karenina and Phil, who plays Peter, sure. uh, won Best Actor. So for me to have um, those two individuals yeah. uh, win those awards, my wife winning Best Actress yeah. and Phil is a guy that was originally a mentor for me when sure. I first started out in film. Uh, so that was huge for me because it's obviously he started out mentoring me as a director. So for him to then come in as an actor and allow me to take him to a place where he had to be so vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, and and if you've watched the film, you know what Peter goes through. Yeah. Uh, and it was a huge, like, um, a really big moment for me yeah. to be able to sort of celebrate the work that he did uh, and and how vulnerable he he, he allowed himself to be in front mm. of this guy who used to be a mentee for him. Sure. You know? I mean, you've got this ensemble cast. It's very diverse. And mm. um, you can even look at the character Peter and the actor who plays him, Philip Wolfe, and think you've seen him in some other films before. Yeah, he's that type of guy, yeah. And I just wondered, how do you go about finding the right cast for this type of film, particularly with the idea that they are going to have to give something of themselves and express something personal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. to contribute to the story. So, so I think that's why um, when you cast as a director, the first thing you do is you go, who do I know can do the job? Yeah. Who, who have I worked with before? And then once you've sort of exhausted because that- Because the relationship's you, already been there. Because the relationship's already been there and also because um, there's a lot of actors that are very, very good actors, but then you put them on a film set and you put a certain amount of pressure on them and they go to pieces. Sure. You put the lights in their face, you put the camera rolling, it's their close-up. Yeah. And they just they don't just give the same. They get nervous, they get sure. tense, whatever, mm. and it's not the same. So when you've seen someone uh, 
in, on a film set who's done it before, yeah. then you know they're not going to be distracted by all that noise and sure. they can still access. So you've seen that. That's worth its weight in gold. Mm. Um, so once, you, once you've exhausted all the people that I knew, then yeah. you start phoning around and you, you start phoning around your friends who have produced and directed other films mm. and you go, I need someone to fit this character description. Yeah. Who do you know? Sure. Uh, and there was a couple of people that I got that way. Yeah. Um, and then uh, once you've exhausted all that, then you go, right, okay, now we need these last few. Then it's a casting process. And, and I think this is one of my big bugbears about the, the direction the industry is going in it, it is, is these, these um, Zoom or Vimeo, whatever it used to be, castings. Sure. Uh, you cannot find out whether an actor is going to be right for a film by watching them over uh, a, um, an internet well, a showreel, a showreel is 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 fine, but yeah. but um, oh, internet! You need them in the over room. the internet. I need them in the room yeah. because I need to know that they, one they respond to me, but also mm. if I if I can put them under a certain amount of pressure mm. in the casting situation yeah. and throw throw a curveball at them and see how they respond to that yeah. in the room. Yeah. Because the thing about particularly with self tapes, sure. if you get self tapes, and I've done this before, you get you'll get a self tape in, and uh, most of the people you can tell it's about their sixteenth take. Sure that they've shown you. I don't need someone who can do it on take 16. Yeah. I need someone who can do it on take one Yeah. or take two at the absolute worst case scenario. Yeah. So I always like to try and get people in the room. And that was challenging because it was locked down. Yeah. So we did the Jake auditions we did in a room. We hired a, a venue. We got people in. Very, very happy with Rashid Hooks who plays Jake. He did such a good job. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Violet, Veronica Sano and... Um, Chloe, played by Eugenia Lowe, they were Zoom auditions and they were the two I was most frightened about right. because that was all that was available to me, casting, yeah. was Zoom auditions. Sure. And I can remember being particularly nervous about, about Eugenia because um, I'd, met, I'd physically met her at the um, help um, clothes going on fitting. 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 Right? fitting thank you clothes going on <laughs> that's yeah. the word yeah. i'm looking for no. for um, our listeners out there uh <laughs> alistair was making hand gestures towards his breast area <laughs> as he was doing <laughs> eugenia was clothes at all times yeah, she yes, was yeah, yeah. there's nothing um, towards so yeah so i'd met her there and she'd been relatively quiet and sort of staying in the background a little bit so i was thinking oh no she's going to be really nervous is this going to be and her big monologue that she has was was Day one, night one, it was all night shoots at mm. three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So we'd had just had a coffee break. 3 a.m., we're going into her close up. And literally by that point, we'd just done like the man walks in the room and opens the door and looks in. We'd not done anything meaty. Sure. And then the very first really substantial thing we had to do that required any sort of acting skill was this monologue. And she didn't know anybody else in the room. Yeah. Camera goes on, her lights go on, and she nails this monologue. Yeah. To and honestly, it was such a happy moment for me to see her just nail it. Yeah. I think we did a second take for luck, yeah, but we didn't need it because we had everything we needed in that for. And and you could see all the other actors in the room going, "Oh, that's where the bar is." Right. Okay. okay. Now I need to step up my game for night two. Yeah. Because this girl's brought it, and it's just such a lovely moment. Um. So big shout out to Eugenia. She's amazing. Cool. Thank you, Eugenia. And also I wanted to mention like because Alcoholics Anonymous is rooted in a 12-step program, mm. it sounds like with you going from like understanding the idea, understand what type of actors you need and having to recruit in various different ways, it sounds mm. like you went through your own 12-step process <laughs> of casting. Yeah, and I've been through it before many times. Yeah. I always get stuck on step four too. No, um, <laughs> uh, 
yeah, like I say, it's it's casting is one of the hardest things to do, and also one of the most important things you can do as a filmmaker is get sure. the casting right. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to be lost in that space of, it, it's, I've just wrote it, I've got so many other things to do, let me just get who comes through the door. Yeah, a little bit like that. I mean, I mean, there's part of you that wants to do that because it's just, you always get inundated with yeah. people wanting to do the role. And, and it's almost a case of, oh, this person looks like they'd be okay. It'd just be so much easier if I could do. Then I can move on to the shot list or yeah. the lighting plan, yeah. or or the kit hire, or all the other location scout, all the other things I have to do, which are just as important. But the casting seems to take up so much time, and mm. and um, it is important because. And I've been caught out with this, where mm. somebody can be great in an audition, and then you get them to set, and they're just because a lot of actors have the attitude of they see their career as get the job not yeah. do the job yeah so that if you if you or think do about the job the right that's right for them well yeah but but no, not even that i mean what i mean isn't you're right but what i'm talking about is is if you're doing if you see actors workshops mm. and let's say you've got an actor's workshop on um meisner technique or something yeah. like that and there'll be 15 people going to it whatever it happens to be if you do an actor's workshop on how to get cast 65 people will want to go right away sure. because their focus is on how do i get the job sure and the problem you then get is you then get that mentality of actors that going right i've worked out how to get now i've got that job now i need to work out my next job and how to get my next job and sure. they don't actually focus on doing the job they've got sure um, so yeah, so so that can be quite tricky, is is, and that's why we always go back to the same people. So with this in mind, and you had other difficulties to deal with because this <laughs> was a film that went into production during 2020. I believe. Yeah, we shot it in September 2020. So yeah. for our listeners who obviously know what's going on in the wider world, uh, we had a little bit of a tricky incident <laughs> uh, that happened internationally, and you had the, one way to put it, and you had the pandemic to deal with. Mm. So what were the early decisions that you had to make when it came to committing to making a film during a pandemic? Um, I, I think because I'd started writing it day one, day two of, of the lockdown, of lockdown, I think I always knew this was going to be something that was going to be made in the pandemic. And so you sort of, um, know what you're doing and, 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 and reality, it was just things like, well, we keep our crew down to a minimum, um, we make sure there's, there's enough space in the location that people can go and separate. Um, and socially distance is the correct term. Um, but you also, uh, and we had an amazing health and safety producer um, who just knew our onions and was brilliant um, and really helped us out as well. But I think when you're making any film, there's always challenges. There is always challenges. And you just got to kind of suit up and mm. go, it's going to be hard, get on with it. Yeah. Um, I, so yeah. I, I think with um, COVID in mind, it was definitely a case of we needed to keep watching the news. Sure. Um, mm. We were lucky in that we, you know, we kind of did it over in the summertime when, well, the end of summer, actually. We'd wanted yeah. to do it more in August, but yeah. there was a trickiness with cinematographers. Yeah. Um, but Both. Um, yeah, so so we, we were doing it in the summertime, which on retrospect gave us less nighttime to work with as well. Yeah, yeah, but it was all that was all we, we knew that going yeah. in, sure. you know. But luckily, you know, luckily, so you know, COVID numbers had gone down in the summer, so we we there was there was the restrictions were down a little bit, but 
yeah, it was just being mindful of of all of that and mm. just really, yeah. I mean, I think every, particularly with the actors, your your big fear is that is that after two days of shooting, one of the actors is going to get COVID and 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 no longer be available, and you've got to shut the whole production down because we've already shot stuff with them in it. Mm. You see what I mean? So. Um, that was always that fear, but once you're in the rhythm of making the film, once you start day one, you turn over camera on, on slate one, take one, then you're just literally going. It's just mm. momentum and adrenaline that keeps you going. You've been making a feature film back in 2020 and there was a little incident that happened, which was the pandemic. And I'd like to know what opportunities were opened or closed to you whilst you was making your film during this time. I think um, in terms of uh, like the, not set, but the the location, the availability of it, it was so much more available because of lockdown um, and there was so much more open to us using it. And did we get a discount on it? Or? Um, sort of. Um, I mean, yeah, you always get a discount because yeah, yeah, yeah. this is the budget. So you, yeah, you, you can them. name drop the location if you it's want. An amazing, to. Oh, so and actually, amazing South Ryslip mm. Community Center. And then they've been so supportive mm. in the post as well. Like they repost our stuff all the time. So they've sure. just they've just been absolutely incredible. And while we were, got really lucky with them was um, the, their son and the yeah daughter in law. So so their son. <laughs> He, they're both martial arts experts and are actually like professional stunt people. Because there were flags in the background yes. of the yeah, uh, right. South Korea and a couple of other yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. martial arts trainings. Yeah. He's um he's got a world record for being like the youngest person to go to a particular the, level. I think he's the youngest. Dan is it called a I Dan? Think so, yeah, yeah. Master Possible. Luke Robinson is his he's name. Amazing. He's incredible, and, and he was so a, a stunt guy. Yeah, they that well. This, the only stunt we needed was help for the domestic abuse scene, oh, okay. which uh, seems awful. But yes, yeah, Hester Ruff. Is that our, because he was teaching the actors how to fall? And yeah, how to, fall, how to hit, how to fall, how to all that stuff. How yeah. to hit with how to hit without actually hitting and make it look realistic, mm. and yeah, just making sure that everyone was safe on set. I just mm. want to name drop him again. So, Master Luke Robinson yeah, is a Taekwondo guy. instructor. And he was the youngest sixth Dan in Taekwondo. Sixth Dan. Sixth Dan. And number time. six. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so he may have moved on and progressed from there. Maybe. Very interesting. But yeah, they've been super supportive. Mm. Like I can't even. It's just. It's just so great to have people that, like just be on your team as much as they've been. So that's that's been amazing. Um, in terms of restrictions, I know. <laughs> Um, our catering lady, Lady Di, I call her because she's been a friend of mine for a really long time. Yeah. Um, but Di Fernandez, she found it quite difficult because you couldn't do a buffet because of mm. COVID restrictions. So sure. everything had to be packaged separately, which so as an eco warrior, like killed, killed my soul a little bit because yeah. just everything's in plastic containers sure. and had to be thrown away immediately and right. all of this stuff. So yeah, so that was that was disappointing. Having said that, we were worried that that would boost the the catering budget as well. We came under, and when she came under because mm. she's just an absolute star. So Amazing. that was that was really cool. Um, yeah, I think I think those are the main things in terms the big of one like was the lights, right? Was well the lights and the lenses. Yeah, yeah. Because um, one of our producers, our line producer, was um, uh, I don't know what Stefan's surname is. Maddox. Maddox, thank you. Stefan Maddox. And he is one of the producers um, at Hillsong Church, sure. which is a big, big international church. And he 
um, because that was closed because it was yeah. COVID. They weren't using any of their lights or their film lenses or anything like that. So sure. we swooped in. We'll have them for a couple of weeks. So something actually came together and yeah. came good from the pandemic. Yeah, there's, there's swings, there's all every film there's swings and roundabouts. Yeah. Every film there's always something that goes wrong, you don't expect it to go wrong. Yeah. And there's something that just falls in your lap yeah. perfectly. Weird question though. Um, what about transport? Because like films can notoriously be known to overrun and run late. Did transport help during a pandemic in terms of getting people to set? and getting people away on time? Well, as we were filming all night shoots, so people would get to set by eight, usually eight, eight but somewhere yeah. between eight and 10. So everyone's at the very latest catching the last tube all the way out to South Rice Loop. Mm. And then we would shoot all the way through till six o'clock in the morning. So they're getting the first tube mm. out. So it wasn't too bad. The only time it was an issue was... There are a few people who maybe had early starts in the morning that they wanted to get to or all the rest of it. So they might have caught an Uber or um, had to catch the well. night bus. Yeah, the luckily some people. There, so, mm, yeah. That's quite lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't too bad in terms of transport. The, yeah, the only one time was when we accidentally missed the first night we were just setting up and doing a quick rehearsal. And so we had planned to be out before the last oh, tube yeah. went and. Alistair and I missed it and so had to enjoy the adventure of getting from S South Rice Lip all the way. Four buses, was it, Four, in the end? But it should have been three because we took one in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's it. Mm. But, um, yeah, <laughs> all the way to uh, East London. So it was good times. Yeah, Cool, cool. So uh, alcohol, as we've been discussing so mm. much, we haven't really tapped into the subject, mm -hmm. but it's really considered to be the demon drink. So would you say there was a taste of the angels and demons that were faced or tested your characters in your film? Oh, what a great question that is. I think you could take that question. in a lot of ways. Is there a particular <laughs> way that you want that, that question to go? Like, Take it whichever way you want. A taste of the angels or demons. I think it depends on the character, right? So maybe our, our answer for Liv in terms of... I mean, you can tell us about some more of the other characters yeah. as well that you had in mind because you've got so many to choose from because we have the mysterious stranger mm. known as the man who comes in as the new entrant to the yeah. Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous group. But he's, he's happening upon a session which is attended by Liv, Peter, Sahana, Michael, Chloe, Jake, Nua Boise, Not Boise, yeah. Violet, Harry and Leo. So... Pick any character and tell us about the. So, so I think I think maybe the, the simplest way to answer, answer the question is to say that that um, I think for a lot of addicts uh, they would probably um, see or have seen at some point in their life as as the substance alcohol in this case, but it could be anything um, as an angel as mm. a savior for them at certain points because that's how they fall into it. Mm. But obviously that's where that savior then, the angel becomes a demon in their life because it, it, it takes a hold. And I think that's, that's true. A truism of a lot of things that we go through as, as the human experience is we think something is good for us. Mm. So we allow it into our lives and then it takes a hold of us. And by the time we realize it's not good for us, it's too late. Mm. Um, so I'd say, and I'd say that's probably true for, all of the characters, given that all of the characters are addicts. Sure. 
I think um, I know for Liv personally, alcohol was less bad than the other things that she was doing. Sure. So it was almost like a weaning off, but she still she's got an addictive personality. You can be addicted to anything. In fact, actually, we were, we were listening to um another podcast. Oh, I can't remember what sports person it was, but you know, um, they were talking about Tiger Woods, and you know, he's there going, "I'm not surprised to find out about his sex addiction or his other thing because mm. pro sports people, particularly if they've come up at a young age, yeah. do have an addictive personality. It's just that it was focused in the right direction as mm. children towards sure. sport. You know, he, a, a child shouldn't be out playing golf a hundred hours a week. You know, be, but be, that's an addictive personality. Mm. Mm. Um. So it's it's finding the right direction to face those those addictions towards and 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 those sorts of things. But I know from um I I had the opportunity to speak to a friend last night who he has like he you know he he's drunk recreationally before but he lost a friend recently and he had to take some time off work um because because he's drinking and he's in he's in um, events and all the rest of it, and his drinking had just taken over because he's just trying to forget about the fact that his friends committed suicide mm-hmm. and they live together and and all the rest of it, and he's just there drinking all the time. Because he thinks he thinks drinking can save him. Yeah. So he, he thinks it's the angel. He's, he's, he, that's it. He's mm. he's just trying to to and he and it got him to a place where it did it became the demon and very close came to losing his job Mm. um and so he's you know he's really taking the steps towards trying to trying to redirect his focus and and work on himself and Mm. and so that drinking the alcohol doesn't have to be you know a band-aid on a gashing wound you know like just just to 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 actually heal properly Mm. um yeah that 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 question Genuinely, yeah, one of the best questions I've ever been asked about. <laughs> I get, I, a lot of these questions I've had before, I've never had that one before. That was a belter, that one. It. Well done, yeah. sir. So, we've got two final questions before we let you go. Um, what I wanted to ask you is, what did you see as the purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous before you embarked on making this film? You want to do that? I mean, or? yeah, I, I think, I think anything where you have people coming together and people being accountable to each other is so important. Um, and that's what I always saw it as is it's, it's a, it's a, it's a place where people can come together and speak about what is going on in their lives and, and have, and be able to hear somebody else's experience and learn from that person's experience. People aren't always going to have the exact same experience. They're not always going to agree on the right way to go about things. But I I know from my experience in church, growing up in church, healthy churches are the ones where you can have deferring opinions, but still know that you're, you're going in the same direction. Unhealthy churches are the ones where everybody's doing the exact same thing Mm. and, and, or nobody's, everybody's afraid to talk about what's going on in their lives. And then that's when you get scandals, you get sex scandals, you get, find out that the, the pastor's 
got a drug addiction or whatever else because everyone was afraid to talk about stuff. Mm. The healthier churches are the ones where it's like, I've got a problem with smoking. I've got I've got a porn addiction. I've got this. And and it's like the moment you say it, it no longer has a hold on you. Sure. Do you know what I mean? And and that's it doesn't have to be in a spiritual context. It can be a non-faith-based recovery group as well. They're still about talking about the things that you think you should be ashamed about and bringing it to light and then somebody else going it's cool, man. I've got the same problem. It's not not that it's cool, but I've got the same. I've had the same issue. Let's work through it together. Let's mm. not let it have a hold of shame over you. Sure. But having said that, I just want to add this as well. What I've learned, particularly having moni- being the person monitoring and curating our online community with social media, how important. I mean, I'm looking at this this Harry Potter. Um, with poster. with poster with with three you know black kids on the front of it as as the as the Harry Potter characters. So for our listeners at home, uh, this is Carolina pointed at the posters inside the Advocacy Academy, which we'll post on our Instagram, which has recultured as it were, or re ethnicized the main characters of the feature film Titanic the TV series Skins and the feature film Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Absolutely. And finding out how important representation within Alcoholics Anonymous groups is as well. I read a horrific article about how a lot of black people don't feel that they can go to Alcoholics Anonymous or even to other recovery groups, particularly online, and they would get racially abused because a lot of their triggers for their addiction come from racism. And then white people would come at them and say, let's not make it about race. What's the other trigger? And they're like, that is my trigger. Mm -hmm. You know, that is my trigger for addiction. And I think that's why it was so important for us to make sure that there were other people represented because when you Mm. know, when you see somebody that looks like you, that probably had the same experiences growing up as you, that's so important to know this person gets me like a white per like if you're if if you're a person of color and you've got a drug addiction or any sort of addiction hearing from a white person and that they're making it through cool you 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 get that they get you on some level but if they don't understand what it's like to to you know go through racial abuse Mm. they're never really going to understand how you're going to come around that that traumatic trigger to to Mm. to stop that addiction that that is helping you deal with that traumatic mm. trigger. And even for me as a woman, having a man tell me, you know, oh, well, you know, I've got this. Adi-. I'm, you know, daily on the street having men pull up beside me yelling obscenities at me or treating me like a prostitute on a, you know, even when I'm try- like one time I was still in my pajama bottoms wearing a pair of hunter boots over top of the pajama bottoms just walking and some guy's like, give me your number. And I'm like, I'm dressed yeah. like a homeless person and you're still <laughs> like coming on to me. Yeah. I don't understand. What do I have to do to not sexualize myself? Mm. You know, just the very fact that I have a certain genitalia automatically means that mm. I'm, I'm, I'm a piece of meat. You know what I mean? And for me, that I went and ate McDonald's to deal with that situation. <laughs> but for other people, they might go to a different place because, yeah, it's 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 representation is so important. Uh, so I think, come back to the original question, the differences. You hit on upon it earlier, actually, Trevor, when yeah. you said about the word anonymous, 
that like a lot of people, I think you think AA because of the word anonymous is a bit of a closed shop and it's a bit secretive and it's a bit kind of um, like a little cult or a club. And, and I think uh, this is, that's maybe the danger of the word anonymous and it, there is anonymity to it and it's there meant to protect the people within those walls, but actually inside the room, it's welcoming, it's open. Um, if you can find a group that's honest, yeah, it's worth its weight in gold, like Karina was saying. So I think flipping the word anonymous mm. um, in your head and not treating it like, oh, this is a closed shop, this is a, a cultish type environment. Sure. It's, it's a place where I'm protected, a place where I'm safe. Sure. And taking it that way rather than mm. the other way. Excellent. Well, thank you for participating in our inspiration interview. I feel like we learned a lot of new things that we didn't know about, not just filmmaking, but working through and using endurance during the pandemic mm. and difficult times and also going through 12 steps in whatever facet of life you're trying to do to overcome obstacles. So just to let our listeners know and remind us where we can see Anonymous 2021, where can our listeners find out more about your film or perhaps see mm. some trailers perhaps? Yeah. Um, and we're all over social go. media, mm. uh, Instagram. We are at anonymous underscore the underscore film. Also on Twitter. I've lacked off on Twitter recently, but we are on Twitter and that's anonymous underscore underscore film. Um, also on Facebook, just, yeah, look for anonymous the film. Um, but uh, we will have screenings online for the Europe, East European Film East European Festival. International, International, International Film, Film Festival, Festival, which is December 12th to 19th. Please head to um, shelloutproductions.com, sign up to our newsletter there, um, and because it's going to be invite only. Um, yeah. to to watch the screening but it yeah. will be there will be an online screening for for anonymous as part of that festival as well yes okay. um and that's coming up it's in december Des december december 12th yeah. to the 19th yes um we're nominated for six awards in that festival so that's awesome what are the names of those festivals uh the awards the nominations oh, the awards, yeah uh so we're nominated for best film yeah best director cool best lead actor for lucas hinch who plays the man Excellent. best lead actress for this lady here yeah Karina Angelique, Best Supporting Actress for Pavinda Shergal and Best Cinematography, cool. Hamish Nichols. Cool. And so, where can we find out about you, the filmmaker, uh, Alistair? Uh, yeah, and so I'm, I'm at the Alistair Mackay. Again, what, what might be better if we give you these because my, my, my name is spelled a weird way. It was sure. <laughs> D's and A's in places where there should be T's and I's. Cool, cool. So, so at the Alistair Mackay on Instagram. I am on Facebook and, and Twitter, but um, I never yeah. use it. As, sure. the, as the proud wife, I just like to uh, promote, um, what have we called it? Masterclass with Alistair Mackay on Facebook yeah. because Alistair will be starting up um, screen restarting, acting. Yeah. Restarting screen acting classes in the new year as well. Mm. So if you're interested in venturing out and and trying some acting for yourself mm. please um check that out on facebook um for me my music my old it's it's old now i'm starting i'm releasing some new music in in the new year which will be a bit more mature than what i've got out there at the moment but that's on spotify karenina angelique um and then i'm on instagram at kanina underscore angel as well cool well, thank you for sharing your information, your time and your expertise. Mm. I'm sure our audience has loved being part of this inspiration interview with you. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for having guys. us. Thank you. Awesome. So 
That was the inspiration interview where we had interviewed Karenina Angelique, who's actor and producer of Anonymous, as well as the writer-director Alistair McKay. To find out more about the inspiration interview segment in the Geek Sweat series, please hashtag G-W-E-K-S-W-E-A-T and you can find us in the search engine under the same characters in any of the search engines of your podcast platforms. We're also on Apple, Spotify, CastBox FM and many, many more. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now.